The church did not function with such signs and wonders. Why? Because the Bible was completed. The canon of Scripture was finished. God has written in this book everything that he has to say to his people. If I want to know what God has to say to me, I don't go outside this book. And if someone says, I've got a message, I'll say, well, if it's not in the Bible, don't talk to me. This is the only foundation for our faith and for our practice. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher, and today we're looking at the book of 1 John, the book that I've been studying this year that has thrilled my heart and I believe has changed my very outlook on many things, including fellowship with God and the need for ministry to the souls of God's people and even to the lost, to those that are so far from God. They need a messenger sent from God to warn and woo them to the cross. And so we're going to be looking at First John. And then at the close of the program, we'll be dealing today with Be a Watchman here in Canada. Stay tuned as we let the Bible speak today. And my burden is that you, each and every one, every camper, will come to a wonderful understanding of God's message in this book of 1 John, that it will bring you into great joy. And we will learn of that tomorrow. Our task this evening is to begin with an appreciation of the Apostle John, uh, the, the man who is called the Apostle of Love. But do not be tricked into thinking that he's Mr. Softy. No, he is a mighty man of God, and we will learn of that this evening. I would like to begin with us all reciting the text uh, that we have in 1 John 1, 7. And I'd like us to include verses 8 and 9. They are well-known verses, and I would like us all to say them together. And then I would like to read, lead in prayer and ask the Lord to work by His Spirit that we will confess our sins and come under the cleansing power of Jesus' precious blood. So let's begin here at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Altogether, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, 
we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And maybe we should add verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so the basis of fellowship with a, a holy God is to take the place of a sinner, to come recognizing that we are the offspring of guilty Adam, and that sin is in our very blood. It is in our hearts. It's in our nature. And we, by grace, are being delivered from the awful curse of sin, and we are dependent constantly on the blood, that sacrifice of our Lord Jesus at the cross of Calvary. So please bow with me in prayer, and let us ask God at the beginning of this camp to cleanse us from our sins and to apply the precious blood. O oh God, our Father, we come tonight in our desperate need of fresh cleansing. We confess that by nature we are sinners. We confess, O oh God, that left to ourselves and our carnal thinking, we are guilty, guilty, guilty. We know, O oh God, that we cannot do one thing to remove the dark blot of sin. But we thank Thee for our Lord Jesus. We thank Thee for His death at Calvary. We praise Thee for the sacrifice that He offered up Himself, His own blood, unto the Father. And Thou, Father, hath accepted the sacrifice. There is now cleansing for sinners. There is washing in the blood. And we take tonight the wonderful promise, if we confess our sins, thou art faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that you will do that for each brother and sister here tonight. I pray that you'll even do that for souls that are strangers to grace and to God. I pray that there will be nothing between our souls and the Savior, that as we come to thy word, that the Holy Spirit will come and minister in the very depths of our souls, and that we will hear the voice of God saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. And so by faith I take tonight the promised power of God the Holy Spirit to fill me and enable me that I might have an utterance from God to speak thy word. Come and bless us and meet with us, we pray and we ask in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You will see in your notes that we begin tonight with this appreciation of John by firstly seeking to have an appreciation 
for first century Christians. They were special. The Protestant Reformation is a back-to-the-Bible movement, and we are the sons and daughters of the Protestant Reformation that has given us this book. We would not be here tonight if we did not have this Word of God in our hands. We would not even want to be here tonight if we did not have this Word within our hearts. And true Christianity in the 21st century can only be defined on the benchmark of 1st century Christianity. There is no such thing as apostolic succession down through the centuries. But there is such a thing as Christian conformity to the standard of the New Testament. And if you call yourself a Christian tonight, then you're going to say, I am mirrored in the New Testament scriptures. In that book, it speaks of me, a believer, a follower of Jesus, the Son of God. And my life has been changed by his power. Now, in the notes, you'll see that there are a number of questions about these early Christians. How did they meet? Well, they didn't have church buildings. They didn't have citadels or chapels or cathedrals. They mainly met in homes. And you have there a number of verses that uh, point out people who opened their homes to the gathering of God's people for the gathering of the church. Sometimes homes were too small. Sometimes they entered into synagogues. We read in Acts 19 that when the synagogues were closed to the preaching of the word, that they went out into the school of Tyrannus. Now again, we don't know the building structure, but it probably was a larger facility, and they had the opportunity to gather there. We, of course, are very blessed to live in countries where we have the freedom to have church buildings, have our own sanctuary and pews and everything set up for Christian Bible worship. That really didn't happen for the first 300 years of New Testament Christianity. How many early Christians were there? Well, we know in the book of Acts that there was one day converted 3,000, later 5,000. So we could probably guess that there were soon to be maybe 10,000 New Testament Christians in the city of Jerusalem. But just think on this, that in Passover there would be at least one million people, Jews, and 10,000 would merely be 1%. That's still a lonely percentage. If you were living in a nation where there was only 1% Christian, you would feel very lonely, and you would feel the power of the world very powerfully, and you would feel the threats of the enemies of the gospel so powerfully in your life. 
Those early Christians were brave, they were bold, and they were persecuted. What did those early Christians believe? Well, they believed in what we call essential Christian doctrine. The death, the atoning death, and the resurrection. Those are the two great pillars of the gospel. Any church, any preacher that denies the atoning, substitutionary, blood-shedding ministry of our Lord Jesus at Calvary is not a gospel preacher. And anyone who says that Jesus Christ did not rise from the tomb is a preacher without a message for an ungodly world. So they believed in the fundamentals. They believed in the scriptures of the Old Testament, and soon they were to have the New Testament also. They believed what was called the apostolic faith, not man's opinion, but what was the united testimony of the disciples, the apostles, and it became called, as in Jude 1.3, the common faith. It was believed by all the disciples, by all the believers. And so it became one gospel, one faith, one message, and they were united around that. True New Testament preachers preached one gospel from the scriptures, and they called on their people to be Bereans, to search the scriptures, to see if these things be so. And that's the kind of Christian you need to be. One who is set to search the word of God and to check everything against the authority of the book. The next question is, how did early Christians worship? Now, this is a subject way bigger than we can handle in the time given to us here tonight. But we know this, that they sang hymns. They sang psalms. They would have used the psalms from the uh, psalms of David and Asaph. They were a singing people. They were a happy people. They were blessed in their souls and exuded the victory of the gospel in their lives. One thing I would draw to attention to is in Acts 2 and verse 38 that they worshiped God in fear, holy fear, godly fear, and they did so that brought reverence to their hearts. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. And down in verse 43, and fear came upon every soul. How do we define fear, godly fear? How do we define a church worship service where the fear of the Lord is rightly understood and appreciated. And if that fear grips the hearts of every worshiper, there will be no nonsense. There will be a shunning of the world. There will be a holy trembling 
in the presence of the God of glory. You'll notice in verse 44 in Acts 2 that there was unity in the believers. This is the most difficult thing to accomplish amongst any group of people. Unity. There's no such thing in this world as 100% unity. In heaven there will. Our sins will be gone. Our sinful attitudes will be gone. Our carnalities will be gone. Our criticisms will be gone. Our murmurings will be gone. But here on earth, even in the Christian sanctuary, we battle against all those things that are a threat to the unity of the brethren. And Paul says in Ephesians, endeavoring to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That means you've got to work at it. And every session meeting, the elders must work at it. Every committee meeting, the committee must work at it. Every time God's people come together to sing, to pray, to serve, they must do so with a mindset, I'm working for unity. That's what welded the New Testament Christians together. And that is the great challenge that we have today. Now, there's another subject here in Acts 2 that I really haven't time to get into, and that is the whole thing about signs and wonders. These were done by the apostles, not by the people. Those signs and miracles, whether they be healings, raising the dead, or speaking in tongues, all of those things died with the apostles. They were apostolic special gifts. By the second century, the church did not function with such signs and wonders. Why? Because the Bible was completed. The canon of Scripture was finished. God has written in this book everything that he has to say to his people. If I want to know what God has to say to me, I don't go outside this book. And if someone says, I've got a message, I'll say, well, if it's not in the Bible, don't talk to me. This is the only foundation for our faith and for our practice. Now, let's move on again about Christians. Now, we're building up something here. We're getting a picture of what it was like to be a Christian in the first century. And then we're going to move on to see what it was like to be John the apostle of love, ministering to these New Testament Christians. And so we want to answer the question, why were they persecuted? We know that John was exiled in the Isle of Patmos toward the end of his life. He was there for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was a preacher, and they didn't like what he preached. And they put him on a lonely island. But why? There is a great divide between the world and the church. That's why. And in 1 John 2, 14, 15, it was John who said, Love not the world. And the world, he said in chapter 5, 19, The world lieth in wickedness, in the lap of the devil. And so Christians were persecuted, persecuted for their evangelism. They were bold and brazen about their faith. 
persecuted because Romans and Greeks were polytheists. They had many gods. They didn't mind what god you mentioned or were called upon to honor. They had many gods. But these Christians had one Lord, one Lord Jesus Christ, and they would not bow the knee to any other name, any other entity, any other deity, any other idol. They would rather die, maintain their testimony of believers in the Lord Jesus than to worship false gods. First century Christians were persecuted because Roman emperors considered themselves or promoted themselves as demigods. And you had the reign of Caesars who said, bow to me, bow to me. Christians wouldn't do it. And hence you have the stories of the Colosseum, you have the stories of the catacombs where the Christian church went underground. 64 AD, the Rome was burned. The Christians got the blame. And there was a rounding up of Christians to put them to death. The devil stirs up hatred against Christians who are the image bearers of the Lord Jesus. I point all this out because we have to ask the question, are we New Testament Christians? It would be easy to be able to say, well, I know book, chapter, and verse, and I know the catechism on this and that doctrine. But what about your testimony? What about your willingness to be a witness, even a martyr for the Lord Jesus? Do you know that there were some churches that unless Christians gave an undertaking that they were willing to die for Christ, could not join? There may be a few churches in the world today that do the same thing. Would you join that church? Would you be willing to put your life on the line that your life might be a testimony for the Lord Jesus? You have been listening to Let the Bible Speak, and this is Pastor Ian Golliher. And once more, I want to call you all Canadians back to the Bible, back from the paths of sin. God told Ezekiel that he was to be a watchman over Israel and Judah. He was called to expose their sins and warn them of God's judgment looming for their idolatry and open sinfulness. The people of Israel were flagrant, unapologetic sinners, just like Canadians. Walk down the city streets, go to the places of entertainment, and what a shame is upon this nation. The way that the people in our cities and even our small towns are living requires warning. God told Ezekiel that he was sent to a people of stubborn heart, and he was to preach God's warnings whether they would listen or not. And if Ezekiel was faithful... Then the crime was the people's. But if Ezekiel was silent about the sin in Israel and kept his mouth shut about people offending a holy God, then the blood of those people would be required at the hand of this prophet. God's prophet bore a great weight of responsibility. He was not responsible for the people's hardness in their response, 
but he was responsible to faithfully declare the message as thus saith the Lord. Turn ye, turn ye, O people, for why should you die? Every gospel preacher sent by God is called to blast the alarm of danger to souls. They are headed uh, on the broad path to destruction and to suffer God's wrath for eternity. That people include all who have been born into sin and have followed their own sinful natures to walk in open rebellion to God and his word. Woe unto that people that have thrown out the Bible, seeking license to sin all the more. Woe to Canadians who have thumbed their nose at truth and righteousness to walk in darkness, to sin all the more against God. Paul the Apostle said, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What should men do uh, that they might be persuaded? First, see that God is holy. He says to all men, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Then see that God commands all men to repent of their sin. That requires a 180-degree about turn. You must hit the brakes on the road to hell due to your sins and do a U-turn to take the narrow path that leads to heaven. Next, take the way of the cross of Calvary. Jesus died for sinners on that cross. The cross was God's plan to reconcile even you to himself. By punishing his own son, the perfect man, in your place, all of God's wrath has fallen on the Lord Jesus, the wrath that was due to you. Ezekiel became a faithful prophet. In chapter 31 of that prophecy, he delivered God's warning faithfully. God said, Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how shall we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? God hates sin, but he loves to save sinners. God will not change his holiness, but he has provided a way to satisfy his holiness and his justice through the death of his Son on behalf of his people as their substitute. This is the gospel. Jesus says to us today, Go and sin no more. Go to the cross and you are pardoned. Go to your heavenly Father, even as a prodigal, and you will be received. But only if you repent, and only if you will trust in God's Son for salvation. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music.